Welcome back to the show. This is Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for stopping by. Today's guest is John Levisay. We are metal members together, and he is known as the Pitch Whisperer, someone that can help you go from invisible to irresistible by showing you the art of storytelling. Absolutely fantastic conversationalist this gentleman is. You're going to be so happy you stopped by. If you want to know how to better captivate people, not just in business, but in normal day-to-day life, by being able to tell a story that truly has people walking away saying, wow, I'm really glad I talked to that person, then you're going to love this episode. So here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. It's showtime. Welcome to the show, John. How are you today? Jesse, I'm glad to be here. I always love talking about storytelling as a new way to engage people, to get them intrigued enough to say, oh my God, that's interesting. Tell me more. <laughs> well, I, I already get gone through some of your resume, but in your own words, you know, what is it that you like the listeners and the people who see you on stage to know about you? I like them to know that I am known as the pitch whisperer that takes people from invisible to irresistible. And that alone usually intrigues people enough to say what we were just saying, you know, oh, what's a pitch whisperer? Or how do you take people from invisible to irresistible? Just enough information that our brain craves something new that makes us intrigued enough to want to know more. So that's the gist of what I do. I, I give keynote talks to companies ranging from Anthem Insurance to Gensler, which is the world's largest architecture design firm around the world. And all of these companies have to go out and tell their story, tell their message to get new business. And what they have found is they all have the hard skills. They're architects that can design, but people hire people they trust and like and know. And you need empathy skills and storytelling skills and confidence skills, the soft skills, in order to stand out against the competition because people are going to buy from people and pay a premium price for what you're doing so you're not seen as a commodity based on how well you tell a story. When we were talking earlier about what you do, I was immediately started to equate that while you've worked with some major companies and it's really great that they can take your knowledge and put it into practice, I feel like what you do can work just for the regular individual and just their interpersonal communication with their friends or their spouses or their loved ones, just knowing how to tell a story really well and draw people in. Whether it could be a story about your vacation or it could be why, mm-hmm. you, why should we have Italian over Mexican tonight? <laughs> well, it's in our DNA, Jesse. You know, we used to sit around in caveman days, the glow of campfires, and now we sit around the glow of PowerPoint slides. So, but you don't even need <laughs> a presentation to you know, and pull people in. It's absolutely... Um, something that our brain craves. That's why we like going to the movies and we, we, we need a story to take us out of all of this analytical left brain thinking and, and go into the world of imagination. So the better storyteller you are, whether it's convincing someone to go to one restaurant or another, um, you paint a picture. And when you paint a picture for someone of how they're going to feel and what the potential is you're in, in their imagination, 
then you start getting people, you become magnetic, and that's how you start moving yourself from invisible to irresistible. Do you find that there's often hang-ups with people and how to tell their stories uh, with the correct pacing, with the correct kind of analogies or mm. metaphors based on just the way that they've operated their entire lives? Yes. In fact, um, one of the key areas we were just talking about, you know, you can even tap into a story of your vacation as an example of storytelling. Um, so sometimes I'll tell people the story about how I always wanted to go on a dog sled ride on Alaska and a glacier. That was just something that looked exhilarating. I'm like, i got to experience that. So I booked a, a trip um, to Alaska via cruise, and then the seas were so rough they couldn't get us to shore to take the helicopter to go on the glacier. Ah, that was so, so five years later, I said, I'm doing it again. And by the time I booked my cruise, that excursion was already sold out. So I was on a waiting list. And luckily for me, it cleared. And then we get on the helicopter, and the guy goes, you know what? You guys are so lucky. Yesterday it was so foggy we couldn't land on the glacier. I thought, man, you've got to really want to do this. And then, of course, it was exhilarating. You land on the glacier. There's a flag in the middle of the glacier. There's snow all around you. There's 100 dogs and 20 people living there with no Internet for weeks at a time. And when that dog sled pulls you, it's unlike any feeling I've ever experienced. And it was well worth it. So that's a story of one of my trips, vacations. And you'll notice that it pulls out some characteristics of my personality without me saying them, right? So what was your big takeaway from hearing that story? Yeah, you're adventurous because you wanted to go onto a glacier and your persistence because yeah. it didn't happen the first time that you were willing, even though you had to wait five years, you were still willing to do it again. And patient because you had to get put on a waiting list and yet you still went on the cruise not knowing if you're going to be able to go on a glacier. Fantastic. Right. So see how much more... Um, engaging that is of three. If I just said to you, I want people to think of me as someone who's patient, persistent, and adventurous, and didn't give you any story with it, it's like, well, good for you, right? But the story, ideally, you're almost in the story with me. And part of that pacing that you talk about is saying enough things that you go, oh, there's another challenge. I want to hear more, right? And you can't be afraid of taking a pause when you tell a story or varying the tone of your voice because it's much like music. There's pauses in music and we need to take a breath and we need to digest what you've said before you go on to the next point. So how would that, you know, my question would be, so how does that look in normal day-to-day -day life? And I think I referenced it earlier in our pre-conversation was that we, I feel like society has got a lot of people, at least when I look back at my college friendships, they got us trained to spit out our story as fast as possible because everybody's reaching, constantly reaching for the talking mm -hmm. stick. So if you, if you take breaths, if you take pauses, somebody mm -hmm. who's ready to interject and interrupt your story, and you're like, well, I, I was in the middle of something. And so, uh, you know, how can you get the people around you to just hush long enough to let mm -hmm. you tell this, to let you tell your awesome story at the pace that would be most comfortable to you? Well, let's, Take an example of an everyday situation, which is, you know, you're at a cocktail party, you're at a networking event, and people say to you, you know, what do you do, right? So let's role play that a little bit so your listeners can hear it and actually have a, a takeaway. Does that sound good? Yes, absolutely. So if you said to me, you know, what do you do, 
I'll say, you know how everybody needs a good elevator pitch and few people have one? Well, I'm the pitch whisperer, and I help people go from invisible to irresistible. And when that happens, they get new clients or referrals. And I stop. It's not a 10-minute monologue. And if someone's interested, they'll say, oh, what's a pitch whisperer? I know what a horse whisperer is. And then I'll say, oh, well, much like a horse whisperer, I calm people down before they have to go give the pitch to get funded for their startup or pitch to get a new client. And I also help them answer those three unspoken questions people have when they listen to you pitch for anything, whether it's a new job or to hire them. And I stop. But that's called an open loop. And people go, well, what are those three unspoken questions? But you see what's happening there, Jesse, is I'm getting permission to keep talking. And that's how you get people engaged. Should we close the loop for your listeners and tell them what the unspoken questions are? Yeah, because I'm excited to know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, the first one, again, now this is not something anyone's going to say, but it's so important for you to be aware of and address it while you're pitching. The first one is, do I trust you, which is a gut thing. It literally goes back to the fight or flight response. And that's where the handshake came from, is showing you didn't have a weapon. So how can we be more trustworthy when we're meeting somebody for eye contact, credibility, confidence, not speaking too fast? Then once they go, okay, it's safe, I trust this person, my gut instinct says it's okay to keep talking to them, then it moves to the heart. And the unspoken question is, do I like you? And the best way to increase your likability factor is to show empathy. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And they go, oh, you get me. So if I'm talking to you about what you're doing and what your podcast is all about, and I imagine what it's like to be you, and I would say something like, wow, so you must have some really interesting conversations with people about curiosity of life and what is something that intrigues people to want to know more, right? And then you go, yes, that's exactly what my show is about, correct? Yes. And then it moves from the gut to the heart to the head, and people are in their head thinking while you're pitching them, will this work for me? Well, if I hire them to design my office, if I hire them to whatever for this job, they're constantly trying to see how do you fit in to the rest of my world. And that's where storytelling comes in so strongly because if you can tell a story and get someone in the story where they see themselves going through the same journey of someone else you've helped, with your product or service, then they say yes. That it seems simple, like writing it down and taking those notes, so that I could, uh, we could dive deeper into it. Just looking at, do I trust you? Do I like you? Will this work for me? It okay. seems, you know, the 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 table of contents of it seems simple, but it, it, right. at the same time, I know how my brain works. Like, how do you get somebody to be? in their body and not in their head while they're trying to do all of these things so that it right. doesn't seem like they're just trying to check things off of a list to get somebody to that now. Will you buy? Yeah. Well, the, you know, the first thing is most people say, oh, well, they have to know me, like me, and trust me. They got the order wrong. So just the awareness, the big takeaway from today is start from the bottom up. Gut, heart, head, not head stuff. And remember, they have to trust you, like you, before they can even process what you're saying. And if you're trying to get them to buy something based on numbers, you're in the left side of the brain, and storytelling takes them to the right side of the brain. So just being aware that you're comfortable with the whole process, that it's not um, an instant. Like if you ask someone out on a date, you probably are not going to ask them to marry you on the first date. 
the whole goal of a good pitch is to get the second in. Is that helpful? It is. It is. So you're saying rather than start with the know me, like me, trust me, you got to flip it and start with the trust me, like me, know me. Yes. I get and that then realize right. That the hope, that's it. And then realize that in that last part, the best the way you can get people to um, think, will this work for me, is to tell them the story of someone else who was just like them, struggling with the same problem, and how you were uh, like a guide or a Yoda or a Sherpa and help them through this process that they would have never been able to get through without your help. And then they go, I want to go on that journey. I want you to be my Sherpa, my guide. Oh, that's awesome. When you, because you work with so many different kinds of people, are there certain tendencies that you see within people that, as far as their communication skills, that lead you to believe that this stuff isn't being taught at a young age and that we're being raised to communicate poorly? Well, yes. I mean, first of all, um, most people are thinking about themselves when they're talking as opposed to what's in it for the other person. So that's just that's a big shift, mind shift right there. It's like, am I creating value for someone? Am I helping them make their life better in some way, shape, or form? And, you know, stories are all about taking people on a journey. And, you know, we're always concerned with basic, you know, fight or flight, survival. Even when you say to someone, I can help save you time or money, that's tapping into a survival story. If you're talking about um, helping people not just survive but thrive, that's when you paint a picture of what your life will be like after you've hired me or worked with me, right? I mean, an example of that is um, I was helping somebody interviewing for a job and they happen to be a millennial. And so talk about the lack of training. There's no class I know of, even in college, that helps you interview, right? <laughs> and it's a skill you need. Um, and so I said to this young person, um, so in addition to all the questions you're going to be asked to answer about why they should hire you, at the end of an interview, you typically get asked, um, do you have any questions for us? And what kinds of questions would you have for your potential employer? And then they said, well, what are the benefits and when, how soon does my vacation kick in and how many sick days do I get? <laughs> and I took a deep breath and I said, that's not a good question to ask. I said... <laughs> How about if you said something like, what would it look like if I was to exceed your expectations in this job? And then, oh, I go, do you see how different that is? It gives a different perception of who you are, that you go the extra mile, you're already thinking, you're acting as if you already work here and you want to know what it would look like to exceed the minimum expectation. And so they used that question and they got hired on the spot. The person said, I was probably going to, you know, Think about it and give you an offer, but that one question made me want to hire you right away because no one has ever asked me that question before, and that's exactly the mindset that we want. We can teach you the skills. We need somebody with that kind of mindset. Uh, I'm going to use that at everything. That is one of the best lines, <laughs> and it's oh, truthful because people want to know that. Like, If you've got a strong work ethic and you, in that you come from that place of the, those values and the work that you do, mm -hmm. You want to know, you know, it could be whether you're a waiter, a garbage man, it could be whether you're a CEO, what would it look like right. to exceed the expectations? Because, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you know, I always say that, you know, people, you don't want to live to work, you want to work to live. And so if you're exceeding okay. expectations, you hope that there is some sort of, you know, pat on the back or a compensation that says, oh, wow, you've done an amazing job. 
we value you, here's a raise, or here's more time off. And that's when those mm-hmm. things start to become even of greater value because you've shown to this company that you're worth that effort. No matter what you're doing, your first job, your 10th job, you just have to do it to the best of your ability as opposed to resenting that you're not somewhere that you're currently not, right? The more we are always unhappy with where we are, whether it's our income or the job we have or whatever the situation is, I don't want to be here, right? Whether we're stuck in traffic, in a job we hate, we're in a relationship that's not working, on and on and on and on. We just get more of that as opposed to what can I do to make the most of the situation? Is there a lesson to learn here? Is there someone else I can help? What can I do to get my own mind off of this? You bring up an excellent point, and my brain immediately connected what you were saying to a past job I had right when I got out of college and I turned 30. Um, it was a, a job overseas. They moved me to Singapore, and I was living in this huge high-rise. And I loved Singapore, but at the same time, I didn't like the job. And I remember thinking, God, I wish I could be working on a beach somewhere with my laptop and <laughs> just doing everything while the ocean crashed around me. The very next place they sent me to was, the, was Nassau, Bahamas. And when they get, mm. they put us up in a condo on the beach, walked out of the back oh, porch, nice. and, and I was on the beach. My cell phone and my house phone, the office line, reached the beach so I could literally be sitting there, and the waves were crashing. And I remember at one point sitting there about a month in, and I was so bored at the place. I was like, this is not what I thought it would be. I was like, why can't I be oh. back in the city? And I remember wow. thinking, you grass isn't greener on the other side, bro. Like, you just wanted the beach. Now you have the beach. It's like... If you And I realized it was my mentality that I didn't like the job, I didn't like what I was doing, mm-hmm. so no matter where they put me, I wasn't going to be happy. Right. You keep thinking, a friend of mine lives in Bel Air, and she goes, you know, that whole grass is always greener thing. She goes, listen, even when you live in Bel Air, it's all grass, and it all needs to be mowed. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a good analogy. I want to circle back to when you said you were you said you were talking to a millennial, and of course my next question is something I've, I do a lot of reading on this is that all, most of the generations aren't very different from one another. We just think that you know me being a Gen Xer and somebody else being a baby boomer, we think that we acted differently when we were younger. When in actuality we were acting pretty similar, but there is cell phone mm-hmm. technology and YouTube now, and that didn't exist in the 1950s or the 70s or 80s, <laughs> but you know, so what do you see as the major differences in communication styles and the various generations that are the primary focus of our economy and just our society at the moment? Well, I think it's the difference between digital natives and digital immigrants. And it's a fascinating distinction because if you're a digital native, you're used to interacting with a computer and just clicking around until you figure out a drop-down menu or some way to fix or solve something or get signed up or whatever the issue is, right? And if you're a digital immigrant, your mindset is more linear, right? You don't think of way how a computer's programmed. That's just not how your mind is wired. And so you get frustrated. And so that's one big distinction. And the other one I see is expectations, right? I mean, certain generations are like, look, you show up to work at 9, and you go home at 5, and that's your life. And now, if the millennials, for example, are not given those expectations at a particular job, they come in whenever they feel like it. 9, 9.30, whatever, I'm staying later, and I'm just, it's all blurred together, the work, play thing, because of technology. 
and then people get mad and they don't say to the millennials, look, we expect you to be here at nine. Um, and so it's all about just, and that's why millennials come and go so quickly, right? Because they're not into giving up their souls for money or a career as previous generations were thought that this is just what you do. There's a whole new, you know, that's why we work in places like that have come up to create this sense of community and flow that, that those are the big distinctions I see. That's an interesting way of, of, of putting that because it immediately makes me think of trying to coach my dad through signing up for fantasy football last year was <laughs> one of the, it was, it was a, the universe tested my patience to the point of absurdity because mm. he could not see the way I right. saw the computer. He was very linear. He, he, you know, he wasn't, he, his eyes were moving around the screen rather than actually looking for things. And uh -huh. So when you when you know and ultimately I, so it took me a half an hour to do what it took me like a less than a minute and a half to do, and right. I remember walking away from that being like I've got to I've got to learn better patience because I was very mean to my dad mm. over something that is ultimately supposed to be an enjoyable Fun. experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when you go to you know let's say that there's listeners out there and you know there's someone who's in there their 60s and they're a businessman they think wow you know my my son should should listen to this and then the son goes and listens to you talk and they're like wow my son should listen to this now it's three different generations one's a millennial one's a gen xer uh -huh. and one's a baby boomer and they all wonder how are you going to tailor your specific talents to helping all three of them well i think the real thing to remember is we're all people and we all have the same basic needs right we all want to feel connected we all want to be appreciated, and we all want to feel relevant at any age. And that's the biggest challenge for people after a certain age, so they no longer feel relevant and feel left behind. And I would say to someone who has a, a parent that, you know, the roles reverse. And if you can imagine what it was like for your parent, again, putting on the empathy hat that I talk about, um, well, at one point, I didn't know how to ride a bike. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that my dad would run behind me with the bike when the training wheels came off and so I wouldn't fall down all the time, right? And that my dad taught me how to drive and I didn't know how to drive stick shift perfectly the first time and now I'm asking him to drive stick shift perfectly the first time with this fantasy football thing. Why is this so hard for you to do it? Well, you know, my dad been driving stick for years by the time I was – so I think there's where the empathy comes. Ah, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, because they, they showed us patience when they were teaching us things. I'm yeah. sure he's like, I've been, son, I've been riding a bike for 30 years. I'm going to take these training wheels off and push you down the hill. You figure it out. Yeah. They didn't. You know, they were always there for us. And mm -hmm. to have that same kind of communication style with them. Right. And then you can take that into the workforce too, right? I mean, look, you, you may be a digital native and have great, you know, skills that posting all kinds of social media things without even thinking about it and doing it five seconds. But there's a lot of things that people that are still in the workforce know about strategy and, uh, you know, the ups and downs of business and then, you know, and have different perspectives that they could share with you. So it's, it's everybody realizing that everyone has different skill sets and if we share them instead of hoarding them, everything starts to have a much more collaborative uh, culture. When you go in and work with these big companies that have a, a humongously varying workforce, what are some of the things that they immediately tap out and want you to focus on? Because you're going to, you might be dealing with three generations 
mm. sitting in that conference room who all who all need to learn from you. How is right. what, what is what is it that the company might ask you to do, and you see a different way of doing it? Where's your variation? Well, one of the things is how do I deal with all this disruption, right? My comp- whether it's the healthcare industry, um, the architecture industry. Now they have to bring virtual reality goggles, not just blueprints, to get people to experience their design. And how do they, you know, most people with disruption, it's change and it's happening so fast. Everyone gets overwhelmed regardless of their age. And so that's one of the big things that I work with companies on is how do you embrace the technology as opposed to ignoring it, right? It's always a choice. Do I want to be Blockbuster or do I want to be Netflix? And it has nothing to do with being busy, right? I'm sure the people at Blockbuster were very busy up until the time they went bankrupt but they didn't embrace new innovative ways of embracing technology. So those are some, and then of course it all comes back down to we need to increase our revenue and how can we do that? And like, well, you have to stop pushing and selling and start telling stories that pull people in instead of pushing messages out. And that skill set is some of the new way of engaging with your clients and customers and messaging and marketing is to putting stories out that pull people in as opposed to pushing out your message. Yeah, let's circle back to the storytelling because before we were talking, before the show started about, you know, when you get on stage and you're the keynote speaker, you have some made points that you're trying to get out to people. Let's discuss what people would, you know, would, would expect from you if they saw you on stage and how you go about making sure that you're telling your stories correctly so that you're really making a connection with the audience in the, the short amount of time you have. Well, the first part is, you know, just getting people to agree that storytelling is imperative, right? You need to learn to become a master storyteller and and really going into it. You know, Plato said storytellers rule the world. So there's some definite return on investment because people remember your stories, not your numbers. So that's the first aha for people. I've been doing this all wrong. My whole pitch has been about numbers and information as opposed to stories and emotionally engaging people. And I'll say, you know, when you tug on the heartstrings, you get people to open their purse strings. So that's the emotional storytelling. Okay, got it. And then people typically will say, well, you know, one of the things we do in a presentation is talk about our team and why, you know, here's who we are and who, what we would do if you hire us. And they do it in such a boring way, Jesse. It's like, oh, I've been here 10 years and this is what I do. And I pull out stories. When I was working with uh, Gensler, the architecture firm, I would say, what inspires you to become an architect? And I, well, I was 11 years old. I played with Legos. Fantastic. And now you have a son that's 11 and you still play with Legos with him and you bring that same passion to this job. And then the next person on the team, where did you work before Gensler? I was in the Israeli army. Amazing. What did you learn from the Israeli army? Well, I certainly know how to have discipline and focus. And you bring that same discipline and focus to making sure this project comes on time and under budget. And now the people they're pitching to have a sense of who these people are and why they're doing what they would do and have their back, and they got a yes. Ah, yeah. Yeah, even I want to hire those people. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, because they have a personality and you have a sense of why they're doing this. It's not just a job for them. Um, So that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, I have a whole thing where I take people on to different storytelling genres, the different kinds of movies that use that genre, and then um, a brand that uses that, and then to helping those companies identify which genre they're going to use and what story they're going to tell. So let's take – do we have time for one? Oh, absolutely. We have plenty of time. Go for it. Okay. 
Well, one of the storytelling genres is rags to riches, right? And that's the Cinderella movie. And, the, you know, she was poor Cinderella in the ashes, and then she you know, became Cinderella. And the brand that uses that genre is Johnny Walker Scotch, which is all about poor Johnny Walker. He was this poor Scottish farmer, and now he's Johnny Walker. Um, another genre is The Quest, which is Lord of the Rings, going on that quest. And Lexus's tagline is The Pursuit of Perfection. You never really get there, but you never stop the quest. So those are two examples of a genre, a movie, and a brand, and then helping people figure out, okay, what's our story? What's our genre? And how does that affect how we're going to explain ourselves? Because when you go into pitch, I tell people you have to sell yourself first. And by selling yourself, I mean telling a story. And then you sell the company. And by selling the company, I mean telling the story of origin and which of those genres does that company fall on and what's the values. And then you start selling the product. And by selling the product, I don't mean talking about features and benefits. I mean telling a story of someone who benefited from using this product or service. That is awesome. The, the fact that there is a, a, a bit of a formula for that, because when I first asked you that question, I thought, oh, I have a great follow-up. My brain obviously was like, oh, great follow-up question is, you know, because I'm from a small town in Indiana, I was like, what if I had to sell tractors? And I was like, oh, you know, tractors, it's a tractor. You mow a lawn or you, you, you bush up uh -huh. some hay, whatever. And then because you started telling me that, I'm like, he's literally answering this question already. I, like, because now you're building a story for why you like tractors and why this tractor yeah. matters. And instead of saying, oh, it's got all these features, you're talking about how amazing it is that the farmer gets to cultivate his land and that the tractor, and I'm like, oh, I, he's already – Already answered the question for me. It's, uh, I really feel like your your methodology is very um, simple for people to immediately absorb and say, okay, I know how I could put this into action. Do you find that when you explain it in the way you just did to yeah. me that people are like, wow, I'm ready to go? Mm -hmm. No, I, I get some great feedback. Of, we're instantly started using the tools that we learned from your keynote, and it's already causing us to close more sales. It's changing the way we do our presentations, um, and it's the fact that it is simple and is proven and is a plan that people can follow is what gives people such a great return on their investment when they engage me as a speaker. I would imagine the the emotional uptick you get from being able to hear that from people and know that you have this amazing knowledge and you're actionably helping people and it's making their lives better and making other people's lives better. Because if you're selling a product, you probably really believe in that product and you know that mm -hmm. what you're selling is going to make their life more efficient or easier or happier or whatever it is. And so you're, right. you're it, like your tree of influence just expands exponentially just because you're able to share this gift you have with other people. Well, it's my personal passion is to help as many people as possible become storytellers because when they become a storyteller, then they don't have the burnout and go on that self-esteem roller coaster of dealing with rejection because they're like, instead of picking up the phone thinking I'm dialing for dollars, you're picking up the phone going, I'm a storyteller, and I'm going to be sharing stories with people who may or may not need what I have to sell. But either way, I'm going to have a nice interaction with them because I'm going to tell a story of who we are and what we do. And even if they can't use it, they could probably give me a referral because the story will be so compelling and memorable. How did this become your passion? What, what in your life sparked this enthusiasm for storytelling within you? Well, I've always um, had a big passion for storytelling. I just didn't have a structure for it. 
And, you know, I've had three separate careers, none of which I thought would ever relate to the other. And it's been an interesting journey. You know, Steve Jobs says you can always connect the dots looking back, not looking forward. And so my first career was selling multi-million dollar mainframe computers. So I really was immersed in the tech world, but I'm not an engineer. And so I would always look for the story that I could explain really complex technology to someone. Um, I was selling, you know, disk drives for mainframe computers and why they needed more to keep everything running efficiently. And I would just, you know, say, you know, it's kind of like closet space. You know, you never have enough, right? Your clothes are all jammed in there. But if you have more closets and things can move and breathe, you can find your clothes faster, right? And, you know, women tend to have a ton of shoes and they never have enough room for them. And so that's what we're doing with giving you all this additional space on your computer to run efficiently that, you know, keeps track of everything from the weather to your credit report. And so that's when I started going, oh, that seemed to resonate with people more than the tech stuff of why we're better than IBM or whatever it was, right? And then I went into um, working for an advertising agency, taking movies coming out on uh, home video even before DVDs and re-editing the movie down to a short 30-second commercial and repositioning the movie that may not have done too well theatrically, but we could get people to rent it um, back when Blockbuster was still alive. So that's really where I learned to craft a story and take a home movie and edit it down to a 30-second commercial. And then I went to go work um, in Condé Nast for 15 years selling advertising for these big brands like W Magazine and they you know, published GQ and Wired and Vanity Fair and on and on and on. And during that whole process, when I was at the magazine business, I said, you know, um, there's this thing called the website and internet and we're going to be needing to have a, a website for the magazine and our advertisers are going to have uh, their own websites. Does anybody know anything about computers? And I, go, well, I do. And then, you know, instead of just putting models on the cover of fashion magazines, we're going to start putting uh, celebrities. Anybody know anything about the entertainment business? Uh, I do. So you <laughs> never know how all these things trans come, come about. So that's sort of the history of how I learned to become a good storyteller and then help other people do it. Yeah, you mean your, your career journey has had such a wide breadth and for it to all connect like that, did you find it? surprising to you when all of your previous experiences started Completely. to meld together into this one amazing congruent lifestyle you've developed? Yes, I, I could never have written it out in, in advance with some big strategy. Just, But there, go, go back to, you know, if you're working with young people, no matter what you're doing, do it and learn and it will serve you well even if you can't imagine how in the future. It's certainly something that my parents instilled in me. You know, my dad always instilled in me to work as hard. You know, um, always put your best foot forward. Work as hard. You know, what do these what do you say? Is you can't turn work ethic off and on like a light switch. And so I always <laughs> work really great imagery, and it's something that that has stuck with me. And my mom always you know taught me that you may not be doing what you want, be where you want living the life you want, that you don't have to be lazy about it. And so mm. everywhere I've ever gone, I've worked really hard at what is it that I can learn about this that I can put into my backpack skills of life. And mm -hmm. because I'm a multimedia journalist now and I studied that for so long in school and I hit on so many different topics, I find that everything can be can circle back around to help with something that you're doing now if you were just you know cognizant of what you were supposed to be learning when you were in that moment. Mm -hmm. you, well, I can I just question. point out what you just yes, did please. for the listeners? Yes. Because 
you do it probably subconsciously now, but when you speak and paint pictures and give us images, we're so much more intrigued. That's why you're such a good host. When you said, my parents taught me that a work ethic is not like a light switch that you can flip on and off. Well, 90% of us are seeing a light switch flipping on and off and going, oh, I guess I can't turn that up, my work ethic on and off. Oh, okay, got it. The message is so much more resonant. When you said, I take my backpack skills of life out into the world, I literally see you having a backpack. And in the backpack, I'm thinking, oh, he's got this skill and that skill and this skill, and he's out there you know, having his own adventures with a lot of tools in his toolbox or, in your case, a backpack. So that's another big takeaway for everyone listening is speak in pictures like you just did and people are going to not only remember you but want to do business with you. Wow, that's that's a good that's a good thing to hear because I don't even realize I'm doing it when I'm doing it. Um, right, it's natural for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, but now that's, that you're aware that you're doing it, you can become more aware of it, right, and, and consciously do it. That's that's something my, one of my business partners and roommates, uh, Patrick, and I discuss a lot is being aware of what you're aware of. And to us, that means that you can be you can be aware that you're a good storyteller, but being aware that you're aware of it means you can step outside to yourself. You can see yourself doing it, and then you can also be able to start uh, not necessarily judging yourself, but you can you just start to critique it and think, okay, well, this is where I could do that better, and that's where I could do that better. Mm-hmm. Do you find that a lot of your clients uh, are easily able to shift into that mode? Because you you. Just now in this conversation, I feel like I've learned so much about storytelling and communication from you. And you know, this this isn't even us. We're not even face-to-face right now. We're over the phone. Like I imagine mm-hmm. that your pull and your draw when you're looking someone in the eyes and, and teaching them this stuff must be extremely powerful. Mm. Yes. I mean, you know, because we process information not only from, through our ears but also through our eyes. So um, visuals really help lock in. Uh, story. That's why the use of uh, slides is, is so important, but not a bunch of words on a slide that people have to read, but images that tug at the heartstrings. That's a good point to make. I was at a conference recently and I, I, for life coaching, which is something I've been doing for a little while now, and I remember asking the, the speaker, I was like, what if I don't have a slideshow? And it turned into an amazing conversation where he's like, well, slideshows <laughs> can actually be a detriment to a presentation because people rely on it too much. And a lot of our listeners mm-hmm. are going to be people who work in companies or people who are young and are trying to put together these PowerPoints to try to get their point across. You know, what's a, what's a really great takeaway someone can gain from you about what exactly they should be trying to rely on, if not the PowerPoint? And it sounds like storytelling is going to be the obvious answer. <laughs> yes, it is. But, I, you know, the biggest mistake I see people make is, is reading a quote or words on a slide to the audience. Nobody needs you to read it to them, right? So show an image that triggers a story, and that's how you give a good presentation. Oh, that's fantastic. That That's fantastic. Were you, were you good at telling stories when you were a kid? Is, is this something that you even saw in yourself back then? Well, um, I always... You know, when I would come home from school, my parents would say, how was your day? Tell me a story. You know, so we were never allowed to just say good or fine. We had to tell a story. Right? So um, I think that's what started my whole journey. And we were read 
too, as kids, right? We would have a bedtime story. So storytelling's just been a part of my life, my whole life. Do you think that with our look at the screen all the time kind of mentality that our society is going through right now, that the five and 10 year olds of today are not going to be raised with the same need to tell stories or ability or because they're looking at all these little YouTube videos and there's being stories presented to them, they're going to have a more interactive way of doing it. My hope would be the latter, that they would not just be stories told to them, but they would be empowered to tell their own stories with this new technology. Ah, that's a good way of putting it. This is insanely interesting to me. I, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the power of storytelling and communication, John, like you, you just, you have such a great grasp on it. You know, it's, where do you see what you're doing growing within societies, you know, currently un, you know, unlimited, there's limitless, there's no boundaries. We live in a boundaryless society practically with the right. technology that's around us. How do you see communication growing in, in your place in that? Well, advertising, for example, has been completely disrupted, right? It's no longer about putting an ad in a magazine or a commercial on a TV show and hoping that you hit enough people's eyeballs that they, you know, take a test drive of your car or whatever it is when they happen to see that ad. So um, brands are having to create their own content and tell their own stories in a way uh, that their brand is integrated into the story, but the story still has to provide its own entertainment value and information value. Um, so, for example, if you're um, Lexus, and when I was working with them at Condé Nast, they worked with Condé Nast Traveler and said, okay, we need the editors to create a video series on 10 places to go skiing this winter. And we want that video to include our Lexus SUV with the skis in it so people can see how the car functions on a ski trip. But the real reason people are watching the video is to see all these amazing places to ski and, and um, the cars integrated into the story. And that's where the future of advertising is going to be. That is a, that is a brilliant point. It immediately, my brain could picture everything you said. And it, it, there used to be a YouTube uh, star named Casey Neistat. I think that's how I pronounce his last name. Nike gave him a, a crazy amount of money with the, with the idea of, you know, with some sort of tagline like just live or just do it. it something that he wasn't just do it and so he ended up taking the money and just spending it to travel around the world and do it as fast as possible <laughs> and the the video ends up getting millions of views because rather than it just being some boring commercial with athletes running on a track or whatever it shows him just tearing his way through the world and it was humongously popular and nike walked away loving it mm -hmm. and it was just a different way of telling the story that actually resonated with the audience better well and it's authentic and that's the difference between in the advertising world is paid impressions. In other words, we pay to have you see this ad versus earned impressions, which is somebody sees that YouTube video and then they share it on their social media channels. That's earned. We didn't pay for that, and it has much more impact, word of mouth, and that's what people are always looking for, back full circle to that's what tugs on people's heartstrings. I want that life. If I buy that product, I might have that kind of experience in mind. You, you know, I love how you use the word authentic in, in that right there because authenticity is something that comes out through the storytelling and it, and it really does connect the storyteller with the audience while they're doing it, doesn't it? Uh-huh, yeah. So 
I'm so fascinated by this. I feel like I could talk to you forever, but uh, I want to get you out of here soon. Uh, but what are some points that maybe I have not asked you about yet that you really feel like the, the listeners need to understand about this talent that you have? <laughs> well, I have a free gift for everybody listening, which is if you um, text the word pitch, not B, but P, pitch, to 66866, I'll uh, email everybody a free PDF on the three mistakes to avoid when you pitch. Um, so 66866 in the word pitch, and you get a free PDF on me. That'll be something that'll really help lock in everything you, you've heard me say. And I think I would just like people to leave with the concept of, you know, the person who tells the best story gets the sale. And it is a skill that you can learn. And if you want to have someone come and speak and train your people on how to become better storytellers so that they can become revenue rock stars, then I'm your guy. You know, which I love the aspect that this helps people be revenue rock stars. And I, I don't want the audience to walk away thinking, well, I don't sell anything. I'm just a, a counselor at a high school, or I'm just you know, uh -huh. a, a, a dental assistant. There's ways that your knowledge can help people with just basic interpersonal communication, isn't there? Well, yeah, and in a way, we're selling ourselves all the time, as you said, whether it's to convince people to go to one restaurant or another, or to get promoted, or just to continue to grow as people. Um, and the pe person who tells the best story is the one that has the, the best life, because people look at you um, as a source of entertainment and fun and want to be around you and your whole network grows and increases um, because people look forward to, you know, getting out of their head and being told a good story that takes them on a journey and entertains them. Well, I'd like to take this opportunity to honor you, John. It's live a say for anybody out there who's trying to figure out if it's live say or live say. It's live a say. <laughs> uh, just take this opportunity to honor you for the work you do to help people with their communication skills to be better at their jobs and live the life that they want because they don't feel pressured or stressed out about how they're supposed to, to do that. They realize that all it is is being themselves and, and telling a story that allows the audience and or the the customer to hear what they have to say and uh, and do it in a way that's congruent with their personality and shows that there's interest and res mutual respect so just tons and tons of gratitude for the work that you do and just how enjoyable this conversation has been i have learned so much and when i met you i knew i'd, I'd learn a lot but wow i've just really enjoyed this conversation well likewise jesse you've got a lot to offer the world and the good thing about storytelling is it's a skill that will never be outsourced to artificial intelligence, I promise you, because there's nuance <laughs> and all kinds of things that um, everybody brings their own energy to that a computer will never do. So if everyone's worried about robots taking their job, you start thinking of yourself as a storyteller, you've got job security for the rest of your life. And that's something that people need to remember. <laughs> Because NPR recently ran a great story on what jobs are being taken over by robots, and no one mentioned storytelling as being one that cannot be outsourced. <laughs> great. Well, there, there, my final two questions for you is they're, they're very poignant. Is you know the show's called Everything's Interesting, because I really do find everything interesting. But I'm interested mm -hmm. in knowing right now, what is it from what you do? What is what is it that you find the most interesting about teaching people how to be? you know, revenue rock stars and, you know, just understanding their communication better. What was the tagline you you learned earlier being, you know, 
you said you're the pitch whisperer, but there was something else that you said. Oh, taking people from invisible to irresistible. Yes. Yeah. What is the thing you find the most interesting about taking people from from invisible to irresistible? The thing that I find the most interesting is that everyone can do it if they're shown how to do it. And it's not like you have to learn how to become a brain surgeon or you have to learn how to fly an airplane. And once you have it lock in of, oh, I'm boring people if I say something this way, but if I tell a story, I'm inspiring them. Or I'm confusing people and I'm always getting a no, but if I tell a story, I am giving them clarity. Or if I don't um, tell a story, I might stumble through all the stuff I'm trying to get out, but if I tell a story, I find myself soaring through it. So that is what I is what I find really interesting. That's fantastic. It's, uh, it's really a great segue to the last question. You're on stage, you're the keynote speaker, but it's for the entire world. Everyone can hear you and everyone understands the language that you speak. What would be that final thought that you'd want to leave the stage with where the crowd just erupts in applause and, and you walk away saying, <laughs> they, they, they heard what they needed to hear today? Well, I have to tell a story because otherwise Please. it wouldn't be authentic. <laughs> um, Ten years ago, I had the privilege of meeting Francoise Hulot, who is Paloma Picasso's mother. And she was with Picasso in the 1940s. Uh, Francoise is still alive today. Um, but she, back then, she was in her 20s, and Picasso was in his 60s. And there was a shortage of canvas during the war. And these artists like Picasso and Matisse and Francoise had such an urge to express themselves that they would paint over their paintings, even though they couldn't find canvas to paint a new painting. And when she was showing me her beautiful home full of Picassos and her own paintings, she pointed to one and she said, this p picture you're looking at that I painted is the fifth one. I think my favorite is the third one underneath. And I thought to myself, what? No one's ever going to see that. But you remember it. And maybe if I tell this story, it's life will live on. And so I realized that when you really see yourself as an artist, that you have to paint over your masterpieces sometimes. And so I want everyone to start thinking of themselves as artists when they go out into the world telling their stories and that their passion for life is so big that they might have to paint over their own masterpieces and redo something multiple times to get it where it needs to be. That is an awesome story. <laughs> so moving and so much emotion you can, you pull out of me as I'm, I'm hearing that. It's like that is that is that exemplifies your work right there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't even know how to say words after you tell that story. <laughs> uh, this, is where, this is where the hosting skills start to diminish. Uh, John, you are fantastic. Again, so much gratitude for being on the show. This has made me so happy. I'm going to love all of my listeners being able to learn from you. So, again, thank you so much. And you know, here's to continuing your work. You do great, great stuff out there, and it's going to be a pleasure to, to see how everything grows with you. Thanks, Jesse. Great talking with you, too. Absolutely.